Hello, and welcome to the Get Cyber Resilient show. My name is Gregor Jeffrey, and this episode, we are live at Gartner IT Symposium 2019. We all know it can be challenging to secure your business, especially when you have limited time. The Get Cyber Resilient show, brought to you by Mimecast, is the perfect way to stay up to date with the latest developments across Australia and New Zealand. Whether you're listening to this podcast, commuting, cycling, jogging, or walking the dog on the weekend, you'll hear real stories from IT and security leaders, just like you. Don't get angry at downtime and data breaches, get cyber resilient. So here we are at the Gold Coast in sunny Queensland. How, how are you enjoying that sunshine, Gar? I am loving it. I'm getting out there for a run some of the mornings and a little bit of a swim uh, today. So it's a great way to start the day before um, all the, the conversations that we've been having over the last, what, three, four days. Um, so yeah, great, great location. Uh, so four days at Gartner Symposium. It's a long conference. Uh, I think it's 120 sponsors here. Just looking at what socks you've got on, vendor socks. Once again, you're rocking the home team, Mimecast. I am wearing these socks from Insight. They're actually quite pretty. I feel like I'm going to get in trouble because I actually stole a bunch of the Mimecast socks when, they, when, we, got, when we brought them out. So uh, they're on rotation. And people maybe think I don't change my socks. I do. They're actually different pairs. So in case those rumours have been spread Well, around. we do have a new batch of socks for you uh, at Mimecast. So at, actually, someone was saying to me, this is not an IT conference at all. It's a sock conference. Like um, Security Operations Centre or... Um, no. Is there, is there a K in there? Or? There's, there's no K. <laughs> Everyone is giving away socks and I think the, the IT component is just a backdrop. I think it's our excuse to do a sock swap. Mm, I agree. Yes. Okay. Uh, we met with three Gartner analysts over the last few days. We, uh, we had some really interesting conversations. Um, one guy from the US, a couple of guys from Australia. Yep. Um, they are at the forefront of you know, what's going on in the industry. Mm. Um, they're speaking with all vendors and also um, CIOs and CISOs um, at large companies right across the world. Um, some great insights in terms of, um, you know, what really was interesting for me is that notion that um, CIOs and CISOs need to be able to um, influence in a stronger manner yep. up and down the tree within their organisation. Um, perhaps coming from a technical background, um, they, you know, they have those table stakes of um, cybersecurity knowledge uh, and, you know, working knowledge too, but how do they transfer those skills into a proper risk conversation um, and also a business conversation? So, you know, how can they influence? Yeah, look, it's, it is a different world, isn't it? When you think about it uh, five, ten years ago even, um, how... The IT functions and certainly the security functions were seen in organizations as kind of a barrier, right, that's a cost to doing business and um, the sort of psychology behind that, uh, I, I feel like played with the ability or maybe, you know, hampered the ability for CIOs, CISOs to get things done because it's a cost center and that's kind of the, the way they're seen. And I really liked some of the ideas around kind of flipping that and seeing um, IT obviously as a business enabler and I think that is starting to be understood pretty well. But security has a competitive advantage. I think that's a really like it's a really nice way to look at this stuff because more and more it's not really option, right? You, everyone has to do it. Um, the cost of the you know customer loss or um, reputation damage, all this stuff that you know hits the news all the time, like that's understood now within businesses and it's understood by boards. We we see that you and I um, with our customers, right? The 
the uptick in them wanting visibility into the value we're providing. Like we don't get to say, yeah, we're good anymore. We have to prove that we're good through management reports and dashboards. Um, So I guess for me, that interest from the board and the C-level is now transferring into like security as a competitive advantage. So if you're going to have to do it, why not do it well and, and be the um, you know be the company that uses it as an opportunity rather than friction or a barrier to getting things done? I think that's a really that's an important distinction. And and to your point then around the that ability to influence, I think those roles are changing dramatically. Where it's your words like it's table stakes to be good technically, but now you've got to be an influencer within the business. And um, I think it was the last episode where we had Shane um, from Reson. That's a pretty good example of somebody who's very, very good at building relationships and being seen as somebody who gets the, the you know the business moving forward in a useful way, rather than the person who's saying no to to you know programs of works or things because you need to build in security and, and sort of privacy, I suppose, by design these days. You know? Yes, uh, and look, the public's much more aware of security, yeah. uh, certainly with the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal yeah. uh, and numerous ones we hear in the news every day. Uh, the public are demanding you know, a stronger sense of security uh, from the companies that they give over their sensitive data to. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and it is consumer, and I would say business level uh, also you know the supply chain we, we talked about that quite a lot over the last few days too where yes you've got customers absolutely but you've also got your supply chain and there's a I would say a, a starting to be a requirement for good security and cyber resilience to be able to service the supply chain that you're a part of whether you're a, a consumer or you're providing services to another organization that um, I think that's kind of an important uh, important thing as well and we talked a lot actually about the uh, the regulations, so things like GDPR, the stuff coming out of California, like the stuff popping up all over the the world at the moment, and um, you know that that idea that you you're going to have to do this stuff anyway, so mm. get ahead of it, do it well, build it into your business, so yeah. that as the regulatory uh, pressures and legislations come down, you're already set up, and it's not a you're not playing catch up. You yeah. know, you're already ahead of the game. So again, competitive advantage by doing this stuff now rather than kind of lagging from a tech perspective and then sort of having to play catch up. Yeah. Um, and okay, we've talked about security as a, a competitive advantage. What about, um, I guess, CISOs and CIOs being those drivers of change within IT, within mm-hmm. the business? And we've, you know, again, we heard a lot of business buzzwords this week too. And Did we ever? I, I'm going to say it, Gart, digital transformation oh. was bandied around there. Oh, sure. <laughs> Could you? <laughs> However, you know, one of the analysts positioned it to us uh, quite eloquently how IT leaders can be those uh, agents of change, air yep. quotes, uh, by really, you know, rather than having to regulate everything that's going on in a business, which mm. is traditionally, you know, quite often this defensive position a cybersecurity leader has to take, uh, but they can, you know, work with the fundamental, um, you know, drivers of the business of creating value and and do new and exciting things. And which we see a lot of, you know, your Californian style tech companies, they, you know, that's um, part of their DNA, the way that they think about, you know, changing the world, um, you know, in more traditional companies, they also have those opportunities because they've already got great customer bases and products out there in the market, but how can they evolve into something new? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a different world. I think, um, yeah, agents of change, I think that's an okay, you know, that, that that's true. It's, uh, you know, it's sort of funny, I don't know, there's air quotes around it, but um, that's probably going to be a transformation that happens more and more in the CIO and CISO roles is that 
Um, they're part of the, the strategy to get to business objectives rather than, to use your words, like the reactive, hey, we're going to do this stuff, how do, you fix, how do you fix things? It's more of a, how do you get ahead of that stuff, build technology in a useful way, platforms and services in a useful way to service the business objectives and uh, the, who else is going to do it, right? It's, it's going to be the, the technical C-level execs. Yes. Uh, one analyst we spoke to, uh, we went quite deep into security fabric. What, what's your definition of security fabric? We're hearing um, this term bandied around somewhat. Yeah, uh, it, it's funny because it almost come back from security fabric. Yes, absolutely. Like that's kind of what we do. But um, to to the idea of a you know, fabric, um, like different different words that get thrown around, I suppose, in the industry around that stuff. Hyperscale, web scale architectures. Um, but to me, the the essence or the important parts of it are that it is true hyperscale. So you know things that run um, in a way that was built for the age we live in, which is the internet. So it's not a uh, you know repurposed appliance. It's a VM and hosted somewhere. But actually, the the core fundamental architecture is built around just massive scale. And when you have that in place, then what you're able to do is really service lots of different functional things. So drop applications onto the fabric. And you know the applications run on top of that, and then on the other side, um, so you know, you've got all the you know web, CASB, um, you know, email security, whatever it is that sits on top of the fabric running at scale. But on the other side of that is the the huge data lakes that will then exist from all the things that are happening there, and the valuable information you can get from that, whether that's looking at. Um, maybe patterns within an organization, like, you know, we're in email, so you might be looking at, you know, natural language patterns that indicate tone of email. And you might be able to pick up that a particular person, when they communicate with your customers, maybe a little bit, uh, maybe there's a coaching opportunity in, in how they're communicating. Um, so when you scale up, you start getting to really interesting insights from, you know, base data, rolling that up into information that's usable by a business. And then if you roll forward a little bit further, the opportunity for kind of decision-making systems based on a huge set of data where I'm going to say, I'm going to say two four words, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning, but using those technologies to, to pull out useful things to make decisions in a fast way that humans just can't. So uh, again, you know, actually I was having breakfast with, um, with Nick, our country manager this morning, and we were weirdly talking about this stuff. And he commented, or he was, his uh, suggestion was, if you think about people writing emails, and if you're able to use uh, those technologies to analyze what has happened in the past, um, when somebody's writing a particular type of email, you get to the point where using this kind of scale, you can suggest an attachment, because when we've seen this type of email before, this is the attachment that people used to convey information, yep. or it might be that you know there's a body of an email, it becomes almost like a template, but it's based on just this huge kind of insight into all the emails that are being sent from a company to to a company uh, to build out those kind of um, those kind of things. So efficiencies, time saving, uh, insights. There's a lot of cool things that hang off the back of that. Um, and then the the big thing is around APIs into that. So you're not just you know it's not a fabric that's kind of encapsulated and doing its own thing. But with an API, you're opening it up to other uh, use cases, other platforms that can then come in and also take advantage of, you know, could be processing power within the fabric, but also the data that sort of sits in there as well. Actually, at the, um, the cyber conference in New Zealand uh, earlier this month, uh, I was talking to, to a, a guy from one of the banking organizations, and his comment was that he doesn't even look at the features anymore for, for security platforms. 
his thing is like, what's your API look like? You know, how open is it? How many endpoints do I have access to to feed into other systems? Yes. Uh, and I guess then within a, a SOC or the cybersecurity team, um, we're getting more into that DevSecOps um, because you're integrating between all these different mm-hmm. platforms yep. and, you know, some are pre-built, those integrations, others, you know, depending on your business or um, your company requirements, you can uh, customise those. Yep. And, and they both have use cases. Uh, but obviously the out-of-the-box stuff is easy because you can just turn it on. So um, so perhaps of smaller businesses? Yeah, ex- so exactly, yeah. So if you think about um, Seam or SOAR use cases, you know, Splunk is here, Logarithm, you know, some of the ones that we integrate out-of-the-box with. And that's pretty nice, right? Because you don't have to build anything. You just choose it from a, you know, a drop-down. It's part of a playbook and, and you're good to go. Um, in the uni space over here, what I've seen is that they, even though they have systems that are integrated out of the box if they wanted to, they'll actually build their own uh, because they might have a requirement to store less data within the seam or they might have a, a particular thing that they want to do that's not part of that kind of out of the box. So I, I almost think of the, the out of the box integrations to me, it's like Pareto's law. You know, they'll probably cover that 80% and if you're a smaller business, perfect. They yes. don't have the, you know, the access to a developer, sweet. Just go go do it that way. Um, but if you do have the option, potentially you get more value and more power from you know, a bespoke uh, integration. Very true. Uh, we actually spoke about some of the integration challenges um, we presented the other day at Gartner. We did, yeah. Yeah, that, look, the, that the, it, you know, I felt good about our talk actually because when I looked at the keynote that was given, um, big chunks of that were around similar stuff, you know, the, the sort of notion of choice within an organization and what that leads to. And the, I think the, the core message from the first day's keynote was around what they were calling tech equilibrium. So the technical choices to, to get to a, you know, maybe moving away from legacy approaches to more you know, t- digital transformation, but like there's somewhere on that scale that makes sense for a particular business. Um, and then making those good choices along the way and definitely integration is, is part of that. Yeah. Uh, now, one of the cool phrases that I heard was, you can go faster in a car if you know the brakes work well. That's excellent. I'm going to be using that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, it's funny because it, as I heard that phrase, it conjured up, well, you're going to crash sometimes if those brakes mm-hmm. don't work well and you're trying to go really fast. Yep. So inevitably and invariably businesses, yeah, if they're, they're um, flying too close to the sun... Um, they can get burnt sometimes. Yeah, 100%. And it's back to the comments around the competitive advantage for good security. Um, that's that phrase, uh, which I'm, I'm probably going to end up in, you know, I'm going to use it in most meetings, I think, if I'm brutally honest. Um, so I'm, I'm going to steal that. Um, but it's that, right? It's competitive advantage because you can go faster if you know, you, you know your brakes are good, your security, your resilience is good. Cool, let's innovate more quickly. Let's grow more quickly because you know, we've got that stuff kind of taken care of. Yep. Um, now, awareness training. Mm. Uh, that was a big topic uh, with one of the analysts we spoke to. It was, yeah. Um, I joked to you earlier that perhaps in 2020, Gartner will call it um, next generation security tra- um, awareness training. Yep. Um, Trips off the tongue. I would uh, get the trademark on that now, Kruger, if I were you. I think I should. What, what comes after <laughs> next generation? Uh, post next generation? <laughs> I don't know. Next, 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 next gen gen? I don't know. Who knows? Next, next. That yeah. sounds like a panda, doesn't it? Next, N- next. N squared <laughs> generation. N squared. N cubed. But there you go. Anyway, so it's awareness training. Um, yep. It's obviously uh, a big item for most companies at the moment. Yeah. Um, many have implemented something. Um, 
rudimentary uh, within the organisation. So we're really seeing, you know, people wanting to formalise that some more and, and not just sort of tick the box that um, someone's done some training but see those actual behavioural change. Yeah, you're spot on there. Um, the evolution we've seen last 12, maybe 18 months, uh, it's exactly what you've described. I think we've all woken up to the fact that using a, an LMS for security awareness training is probably not going to give you the outcomes that you want because what people do is they, and like I've done this and I'm guessing you've probably <laughs> done it at some point where you get the email saying, hey, you've got to watch the new policy video or the security video or you know, pick the thing. Um, and you're busy, right? So what you do is you put it on your second screen and the video plays, you're working away and then you know you notice that it's finished and you click submit and the LMS says, you know, you've trained, your training's complete. And I'm going to put my hand up. I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but you know, traditionally I've never watched them. Um, but I would show up in a report somewhere as having completed the training. So that's the issue here, um, and that that applies to even excellent things. Like I would say, having a classroom environment and having somebody come in to sort of deliver training, incredibly useful. But six months later, people don't think about that. You know, it's a Thursday morning. Maybe they had a, a big night on the Wednesday. It's just not in people's minds. It's just it's we, we know it doesn't work, and the evolution has been I think twofold. It's accepting that the content is probably been missing the mark. Really, uh, very dry information, and we know information does not change people's behavior. That's that's a fact. Um, if you look at the advertising industry, you know people do things that are bad for them because advertisers are amazingly good at making things look delicious and. Um, and fun, even though they're not good for us as people. So they're they're kind of informing some of the changes that I think we're seeing in uh, what I would almost call behavior change, security behavior change, rather than awareness. And um, and that's powerful. So you're starting to see content that really cuts through and and uses much shorter, punchier messaging with with simple messaging. So one thing to remember, rather than fifteen things where you're going to forget them all. I think that's the first part. Is the the content has changed. I'm also seeing much more of a focus on um, not just doing the stuff, but actually being able to prove that the stuff is working. So things like risk scores, roll up, um, you know, insights into we're doing this stuff. We're doing a behavior change program for security. Is it working? And measuring that and looking at that over time in a useful and meaningful way. So not just kind of running a program and then maybe doing a fish campaign and and that's your you know that's your um, your metric. What we're seeing is that cybersecurity leadership are looking for more than that, and actually boards are looking for insights into where we sit. You know, how do we compare to other companies like us? How do we compare to uh, companies of similar size? Um, so it's a uh, changing behaviors, but then also being able to you know very clearly see the business impact and the ROI for the money you're spending on a program. Yeah. So aligning that with their risk objectives, depending yes. on their style of business. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Look, it's what you've just said there is so spot on. That to me is another thing that I'm seeing change. You know, we 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 so often talked about security controls, and it was dry, and you know, we're doing this thing to protect against this threat. And more and more at, at conferences like this, the language is that it's uh, what are our business objectives? What are the risks that we're seeing that may impact us achieving those objectives? And cool, let's build some stuff around mitigating those risks in a smart way. So we're not spending money on stuff that might be a risk, but probably doesn't really impact our overall organizational objectives. Let's look at the, the things that really are meaningful and spend money on those and mitigate those. 
Any other uh, sort of key messages you're seeing within the, the expo hall? There's uh, 120 sponsors here. Um, I, There's I, a lot of dark blue. <laughs> there all this is. Splunk is right next door to us and they're pink. Uh, they're even rock, rocking pink sneakers, so they, they are standing out from the crowd. They do. They look fantastic. Uh, do you know what I like about this, Gregor? And we, we've kind of joked about this before. Because it's more of a generalist sort of CIO and IT leader summit, I don't think I've seen a single banner or picture of a, a person with no face and a hoodie. Ah. It's beautiful. Like, it's so refreshing. You know, it's a technology and sort of IT and, and CIO conference rather than a pure cybersecurity conference. Um, and I love, you know, I love those. They're fun. But, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy to not have seen a single hoodie here. It's just it's a beautiful thing. In terms of the overall team, sorry to no. kind of go off on my little uh, hoodie rants there. But um, I, so one of the things I've noticed is that as we're turning up at these events, um, and I can see you're having the same experience, like we know the other vendors and there's definitely this spirit and kind of an essence of collaboration. And we're looking at ways we can work together. So I, I think that's a, that feels different to me, um, The that yeah, that spirit, you know, and it sounds cheesy and fluffy, but I think it's that's where the industry is going to go. You know, it's that, almost back to that security fabric. True. Cool. We all have to work together. How yeah. do we integrate with you guys? How do we how do we deliver value to our um, combined you know the customers that we have in common in a, in a useful way? Like it's just more and more what I see. Happening. Yeah, we are seeing that positioning of APIs front and center mm-hmm. on the stands, and even to a point where traditional competitors are almost have their logos on other. Um, vendors stands because yep. we're all integrating together yep. and yes there's crossover uh, with products and solution sets but there's that greater strength in being able to work together mm. uh, for a, a, an organization or a company um, it's great to be able to pick and choose from those different solutions that fit you best you may have some legacy uh, platforms in place that have um, evolved over time so you still you know you're still sometimes beholden to those platforms but once uh, those companies start integrating uh, it just it makes that um, move and evolution um, of your security of your IT infrastructure that much easier than having to sort of rip and replace everything yep yeah, we we definitely live in interesting times, is is what I would say. Um, yeah, I think that the cyber resilience. Um, actually, you know, it's a general CIO and IT leaders conference, but cyber resilience is a big part of that, right? It's just that's you have to do it. You can't not do it. And um, yeah, seeing the collaboration from the vendors and you know seeing seeing some of the the use cases and the stories with how people have the Gold Coast City Council talk and Matt from their amazing talk it was great ran through their operating model and how they had used Splunk with a, an outsourced service provider uh, sorry a managed service provider um, to deliver their outcomes a great talk you know and that, that stuff where you're, you're hearing these great stories of how people have used uh, those kind of platforms to, to really get you know get good outcomes for their organization yes Okay, well, that brings us to the end of the time we've got uh, here at Gartner Symposium today, Guy. Uh, it's been good catching up. It See has. you in sunny Queensland next time. Yeah, definitely. And I think this was a, like our third take because we kept getting interrupted, so glad to, glad to make it all the way through. <laughs> we did. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for this episode of the Get Cyber Resilient show. If you enjoyed the show, head over to getcyberresilient.com, a new online destination for cyber professionals in Australia and New Zealand. 
We all know the constant battles and challenges of addressing cybersecurity. GetCyberResilient.com is a place that brings together the local cyber community to problem solve innovative solutions on how we can all be more resilient to the challenges and risks that exist online. Point your favorite web browser to GetCyberResilient.com.